Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 215. Fun fact, there are 112 brackets in the 8311 cast group bracket. I think it's 112. I'm pretty sure it's that because one of my brackets is in last place and it's at 112, uh, which is not good. If you didn't know, we have a group bracket, which if you followed us on Twitter at 8311cast, you would have known about and that we're handing out a $50 Fanatics gift card to the number one bracket in the, the bracket pool. So if you missed out this year, make sure you're around next year when we do the same thing. And follow us on Twitter as well, because we have good Twitter posts. And, and also follow us on Twitter, because uh, it's the only way you'll actually get to find out how that nice group bracket we picked last week turned out, because I'm dumb and forgot to actually put that bracket in the group. So that's the only way you're going to find out how it did. Right now, it would be uh, it would be tied for 36th place if it was in there. But, you know, it's not, because somebody's bad. So, I would like to save a little face. My my last place bracket is a coin flip bracket, just to be clear. Which one of us has the worst um, wheel bracket? Arian, you're in first of the four of us. I think it's Arian. No, he's in first. I'm first yeah. right now. Yeah, oh, Arian's oh, tied for 17. Get out of here. I'm tied for 30. It's, it's got to be me that's last. No, it's probably me. I'm 92. Oh, it's yeah, Wyatt. It's me. I'm tied for 53rd. Okay. I have very few remaining points though, so I will I will drop down pretty quickly. Uh but I'll live it up for now being in the top 20. Oh, 930 no, remaining it's points. 930 max. So at least max not remaining. Oh, max yeah. point. That's yeah. Not good. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, not at all. I have 890 max. I've still so... got uh 1500. I can still beat Kyle. Yeah, same. 1520. So we'll have to see how the later rounds turn out. Before we get into um, preview, uh, talking about what happened in the tournament at large and uh, previewing next weekend's games, we've got to talk a little bit about the Cyclone basketball teams. It was a first-round exit for the men's team. They ended up playing Pittsburgh in the 6-11 matchup in the Midwest region, and they fell 59-41. to Um I mean, the way I would sum up this game is that we all knew this team was capable of shooting this poorly. We hadn't seen it this year. We hoped we'd never see it, but it happened at the worst time. I I don't think they were taking bad shots. Um, I don't think there was a lack of effort. I mean, holding Pittsburgh is a very good offensive team. Holding them to 59 points is fine. The defense wasn't terrible. There wasn't a lack of energy. The, The shots just didn't go in. I don't have much more to say about it. I mean, eventually you got to score the basketball to win, and you didn't. So yeah, it was it was painful to watch. It was not a fun game to see, especially like you said, they weren't awful shots, and they just would not go in. And the guys are trying hard on defense. You see them try and get pumped up when you make you know one basket in six minutes or whatever. But when you open the game two to twenty two, it's pretty hard to win. I do believe after that. 
we did outscore them by two, I think, or something. But yeah, once you dig yourself into a 20 point hole in the first 10 minutes, it's pretty darn hard to um, get out of there. They scored the second least points in tournament history. Uh, I didn't see anywhere that said it, but I would be curious if that was the latest first made field goal in tournament history as well, because it was was a long time. And you do have to give this team some credit for they did battle. They fell down 22 to two, but they battled back. And at one point um, with 18 minutes left in the game, it was 25 to 30. So this team, this team battled back. They did not give up. They didn't pout. They didn't quit. But then, you know, after they made it 25 to 30, they didn't score. They only scored one point again in the next eight minutes. So, you know. They then and then it was over at that point. They were down twelve again, and then they again went on another four minutes going drought. In the end, the shots just didn't fall. But then it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, I will say they it, it felt like they started the game a little lackluster. There was I don't know if everyone was familiar with it i know we were because we talked about it there was a delay to start this game you can speculate if there was any impact on it i don't think so i think this team just ran into an off shooting night from everyone and unlike last season there wasn't one guy who you could always count on to go and get a bucket no matter how bad of a shooting night he was having and isaiah brockington obviously isn't on this team any longer that's what happens and this team, we all knew going into the season that Gabe Kalsher was going to have to like shoulder the bulk majority of the scoring load for this team. Um, and Jaron Holmes was going to be the guy to step up. And if those two guys were having off nights, it just there wasn't anyone else who could really go out and score the ball efficiently. Hopefully that is going to be mitigated next season um, as we we look forward to next season. But yeah, this was a tough year on offense for this team. Always defense, uh, always hopefully created the offense. Um, And yeah, we'll see. I think I think this was a good um, learning experience for a player like Lipsy. Uh, who can only build off of this and get better um, for next season. So, yeah, I, he's our point guard of the future, and, and TJ's been recruiting really well. So, ultimately, nothing but bright things ahead for this team. But overall, looking back on it, you know, you can't say this wasn't a flop of a season. There weren't that many high expectations coming in. We exceeded expectations by making the tournament again, and we were seeded much higher than we were last year, too. So, yeah, it was a good season. I just want to give credit to Gabe Kalsher. We harped on him a lot last year, and he came back, and he just had a he had a really good yeah. year. Like he wasn't twenty point score, he wasn't player of the year of the conference or anything, but he was a really good player. He was already excellent on defense, and he gave us that consistent production that we really wanted last year. And he was a leader, too. Like He was one of the guys that was the leader of the team. So I I hope that he feels excited that he came back because I feel like he redeemed himself and really showed his value as a player. And I, I enjoyed watching him this year. Yeah, Gabe Kalsher was a huge part of this team. Um, he did, ended up averaging 13 points a game. Um. Which was, I be- which was uh, by far the best season of his career. Um, 
and he shot um, second best uh, three point percentage, second best field goal percentage of his career. Um, so had his best season as far as steals. So significantly better than last year. Um, he just did great. And Kyle, I just I wanted to agree with your point that this this was a successful season going into this season. I think the Cyclones were picked to finish eighth in the conference um, preseason. They finished fifth. Um, they were probably not projected to make the tournament or be a bubble team at best. They were a six seed. Um, no, it wasn't perfect. Um, yes, there were some frustrating moments. But again, this team entertained you for the entire year, right? This team made you want to watch every game, which you can't say for previous years uh, of these teams. So, and they're entertaining to watch. Um, so, yeah, in the end, I'll, I will call this season a success despite the disappointing end. It's not like they they didn't try in that tournament game. They tried and it just didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I it. If there was one letdown of the season, we'll broach this topic. I think it was Oshun. For sure. I, I, I think we were we expected a little bit more based on what we heard. Mm-hmm. Uh in landing him, he seemed like one of the the better transfers on the transfer market at the time. Uh coming off of I believe he was two time defensive player of the year in in their conference that St. Bonaventure plays in, which I'm uh, blanking on right now. Uh, Yes. The a 10, it just was a letdown. I I think his defense never really came to fruition. He had a couple great games. Don't get me wrong, but over the course of the season, the entire body of work, I feel like it was a letdown from what we were all kind of hoping and maybe even expecting to get out of him. Uh, And at the end of the season, arguably so, Rob Jones was playing better basketball than Oshun was. I hate to agree with you, but he was definitely, when you look at the box score and you see who's on the floor, they were playing similar minutes and of similar impact. I think when I saw Oshun, I, in my head, I'm like, this is a guy who can give us probably like 11 and seven, maybe a block, block and a half a game. He did average 1.1 blocks per game, but... 8.2 8.2 points and 3.9 rebounds. Uh, not fantastic. Obviously, we have pondered rebounding a million times, and our big guys aren't supposed to get rebounds, it seems like, but he came in one, two, three, four, five. He was like fifth on our team in rebounding. Basically, almost got out rebounded by Rob Jones. I don't love that. Uh, you do wonder if injury played into that at all. I would say my biggest disappointment of the season was injuries just overall whether it be Koontz or Oshun or Grill it, it felt like we almost never got that chance to put everything together and Jeremiah have Williams yeah Williams I, I forget season. about that one all the time because we never even saw him play Trey King really not getting into it until really conference play even started yeah and I I want to touch on that injury point from for Oshun right we might never know Right, but he, yeah, but he averaged well. over his four years at St. Bonaventures. He averaged just over thirty minutes a game. He played eighteen minutes a game for Iowa State. Right, that mm-hmm. to me that says injury. Right, Robert Jones wasn't demanding those minutes. We didn't have another person who took that center role and ran with it. Right, so I've got to think Oshun was just hurting, especially in the latter half of the year. 
and just couldn't give us what his yeah. potential was. Because what we saw it early in conference, some of those early conference games, if you got him the ball in the post, he looked unstoppable. Because he was either gonna pull he was either gonna but, pull up and make the short jumper or just get around you. He looked unstoppable at times in the early conference. And he looked allergic to the ball late in conference. I think he was hurt and just never got fully healthy near the end of the year. Yeah, I, the the one game that sticks out to me, I think it was on the road against Oklahoma State. He, I, I think he had been battling injury, and that game, I thought it was like, okay, here we go. He's back. He's feeling better. And then I think in that game, he tweaked whatever it was again. Uh, and just wasn't able to fully recover from it the rest of the season. Yeah, because, I mean, if we look at the, right, if we look um, pre-Big 12 SEC Challenge, right, um, he had in conference 8, 12, 7, 14, 11, 15, and 16 points. So what's that? One That's five out of eight games he was in double figures. He had double figures scoring twice the rest of the year, the KU game and the game at Texas. Um, prior to uh, prior to um, that Missouri game, he played twenty plus minutes um, in about half the games. After that, he played twenty plus minutes three times the entire year. So something I, I just use that as an arbitrary point, but. Um, Something something happened late. I don't know what it is, but something happened late to Oshun, and that's just unfortunate because he was he was off to a great start. So I think it, it was probably that K State home game where I looked at him and was like, "Wow, he looks unstoppable." And yeah, because he was eight of eleven from the uh, from the free throw line in that game to go along with four of seven from the field. So I mean, we could we could labor this for longer but ultimately overall we all share the same sentiment successful season but there still is a lot of excitement around this program and around what tj has been able to do so far with what he's had and now you are starting to see what will be tj's own class coming in now these are the guys that he's been chasing that he's been after um and recruiting Uh, it all it all starts coming to fruition and taking shape with his dream and his identity of what he wants his teams to really look like when he's able to go in and scout the talent on his own. Exciting things to come for this program. I don't doubt, uh, you know, some of the roster has already taken shape for next year. There's still quite a few holes to be filled. Um, a lot of talk about uh, Omaha Baloo next season. Obviously, we'll do a season preview when we get closer to the 2023-2024 season, but overall rank seven, according to 24-7 Sports right now, uh, and that is the highest ranked recruiting class in the Big 12 currently. So lots to be excited for next year. For sure, and we'll talk about that more on a future episode, but yeah, this is not... We should expect a, a tournament run next year, I think. I think this team is very capable of making the tournament next year. Uh, over on the women's side, uh, things are not as bright as on the men's side, and that's saying something. Uh, first round exit for the women as well. They got beat by 12-seeded Toledo. 
um, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It was 73 to 80. Um, the team was down most of this game. They fell behind early and never were and never um, never got back into it. Um, Toledo opened the game. Uh, let me sorry, I gotta pull this up here. I still had Oshun's stats pulled up. It was a back and forth first quarter, and then the second quarter was absolutely a disaster for Iowa State. Um, went from the nine minute mark in the second quarter to the four minute mark without scoring. Um, ended up down nine points and were just never able to recover from there as Toledo kept us at arm's reach the whole time. Um, really, uh, we did not shoot well from three, um, which is uncharacteristic of this team, but that's ended up what killed us. Um, six of 31 from three um, for the women's team, including one for seven for Donarski and one for five from Ryan. Um, and uh, Toledo shot very well. They shot almost 50% from the field. And that was the difference, right? They outshot us and we couldn't make the buckets. And it ended up costing us the game and the season. Um, unlike uh, on the men's side, this, this, was, this was a failure of a season. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, right? This, was the, this women's team was the preseason number eight team in the nation. And one, at one point got as high as number five in the nation. And you're out in the first round to Toledo. And this is a Toledo team, by the way, who is right now in the second round down by 44 to four seed Tennessee. 44. They're not a good team. Toledo's not a good team. I'm not saying we would have beat Tennessee, but Toledo's not good. This is a disaster of a season for the women. And I know Stephanie Soros got hurt, and I know that changed the expectation, but this this is still a disaster for this team. It yeah this this uh, I I can't imagine Ashley Jones is happy that she came back to to have a season lose in the in a, a first round exit in the NCAA tournament. She had a great season. She's probably the best player in Cyclone women's basketball history. Um, I wish her nothing but the best. But this was this was a disastrous um, end to the season and a disappointing season for the women. I don't think there's any other way to yeah. to, to to sugarcoat that. We talked about it before the season that Elite Eight was the expectation for this team. If it happened, that would be what was expected of them. Obviously, those uh, expectations can change a little bit when you have a main contributor get injured, but those expectations did not drop from Elite Eight to Final Four to eh, make the tournament and we'll be okay with it and you can just lose in the first round. Um, I think Sweet 16 was a reasonable expectation for this team still. Uh, so, yeah, definitely huge disappointment and what feels like, like you said, kind of a waste of a last season of a Cyclone great. Uh, you wish we could have gone a little farther for her. Yeah, and to, and to be fair, she did everything she could in that game, right? If we look at Ashley Jones. Yep. I think every loss they've had this season, she's been good in all those she, games. She wasn't particularly efficient. She was five of nine, uh, five of nineteen from the field, so she missed a fair number of shots. But she still scored twenty three points, had thirteen rebounds, um, three assists, two steals. So she she contributed. Um, you would have liked to see her be a little bit more efficient, but in the end, she needed some of the shooters to make shots, and. 
Dua, Donarski, and Ryan um, combined to go three of 18 from three. And that's just not going to cut it. This team's not going to win shooting that percentage from three. So this team makes threes and makes free throws, and that's how they win, and they didn't make the free the threes. So that's that. Um, and the transfer portal is already filling for um, the second women. Um, Maggie Epson-Miller-McGraw has uh, put her name in the transfer portal, um, so she will likely not be a Cyclone for her last season next season. Um, but we'll have to see. This This team's got some work to do to get ready for next year. Obviously, Jones is gone. Um, Soros is petition, petis, petitioning for another year of eligibility. It's not guaranteed. Donarski, um and Ryan could both be back. Um, Dewar could be back. Um, and Fritz is of course coming back, but this team's definitely got to retool and find a way to replace, um, Ashley Jones still, still should be a decent season for them, but, um, they'll have some work to do to get, get ready again. Yeah. Um, and I did just look it up. So according to, uh, the 2023 ESPNW hoop girls recruiting rankings, uh, Iowa State's recruiting class next year features five uh, freshmen, including the, I believe it's the youngest Jones no, sister. Got to be the second youngest Jones sister. I believe there's still, I believe there's still a middle schooler. Really? Okay. I'm gonna oh, the fourth, So it's the fourth Jones sister to play Division One basketball. Uh, so Kelsey Jones. I don't know if there's a younger one or not, but that's another one that will be playing for Iowa State. Uh, but overall, the quintet rank comes in at number 10 on those recruiting rankings, uh, featuring number 47 in the class, um, number 31 in the class, number 57 in the class, another four star guard, uh, and then final or and finally, not be- last but not least, is that Kel- Kelsey Jones as well. So they are retooling. Uh, and reloading, but it's a lot of young talent, largely unproven. And the so. thing that biggest things different from the men's game to the women's game is it's harder to impact it. It just this is just what it seems like as a freshman. So we will still have some good senior leadership in um, Ryan and Janarski, presuming they don't transfer. And I've heard nothing saying that they might, but just in this era, you've got to put that disclaimer on there. Um, They'll have some good senior leadership, but it's hard for freshmen to make a huge impact um, in the women's game. So next year, they should definitely still be a tournament team, but expectations won't nearly be as high as this year. Any other thoughts on the women's season or future? Nope. Nope. Uh, We'll just go through a quick general uh, NCAA tournament update. I mean, I think we'll... We'll talk about the Cinderella's because that's what everybody wants to talk about. I mean, the biggest surprise was... uh, was it fairly Dickinson university coming from the play in game as a 16 seed knocking off um, Purdue in a game where Zach Eady was 10 inches taller than their uh, tallest player. And he didn't even take a shot in the last six minutes of the game. Um, Purdue looked like a team where nobody wanted to be the one that missed the critical shot. And so nobody took it and they lost because of it. Yeah, they were they were allergic. They were largely not guarding Mason Gillis in this game. Mason Gillis was 
very cold from behind the arc. Uh, and at the end of the game, he had three very wide open looks from three that he hesitated on and ended up passing up uh, while no one was in with within six to seven feet of him guarding him. Yeah. I mean, it, and the game plan for Fairleigh Dickinson against Purdue was if they're going to if they're going to make threes, we're going to lose no matter what. So we're going to make sure Zach Eady doesn't beat us. And if they make threes, so be it. Purdue did not make threes and they lost. Yeah. I think this loss is worse than oh, Virginia's for sure. loss. 100%, this is a team 100%. That, yeah. They didn't even win their conference tournament. They played in the play-in. They're 10 inches shorter than your tallest guy. I don't care if their game plan was make sure Zach Eady doesn't score against us. You are a monster. You're not even a human being. Give it to him anyway. Just turn around and drop the ball in. Prior to the tournament, 312 in the Ken Palm. That's what FDU is ranked. 312. Yeah. They were, the, they were the third best regular season team in the worst conference in college basketball. And, you know, I, I already, you know, Zach Eady's probably going to, he was probably going to go in the second round of the draft, maybe the late first round, just because his skill set is not useful in the NBA the way it gets played these days. But that did not help his draft stock. In these moments in March, what guys are looking for is a guy to take over. It's not about the game plan or who stops you. You're supposed next year. You're going to be playing against full grown men, so you have to show that you can dominate boys in college. Like, yep. it doesn't matter what the game you plan is. You got to do what Drew Timmy did last night down the stretch against TCU and take over. Just about to say that yes. Drew Timmy took over. Drew Timmy is now tied uh, with what is it? Eight other players for the most twenty point games in NCAA his like career history. He has nine. Game, is it eight or nine games of scoring more than 20 points in the NCAA tournament? That is the epitome of a guy who knows what to do when it counts in clutch moments. And that was not Zach Eady. That is no. not Purdue as a history of a team and a program in the NCAA tournament. Fun fact, Purdue has the most NCAA tournament wins in college basketball history without winning a national title. They are the most, like, they're, they've had the most wins ever. Uh, oh, well, not most wins ever. They've had the most wins of any team without an NCAA championship. championship. That means, yeah, they're great. They can make the tournament, but when it comes down to it, they can't win the critical games. Yeah, I, I thought that was very disappointing. As a, I thought that they would kind of dominate... He's such a big guy. I'm like, that's just a built-in advantage. You can't do anything against it, but it just did not work out. This should have been an Elite Eight Final Four team. Easy, yeah. And then uh, the other big Cinderella, and then we'll move on because I'm sure you've all watched plenty of tournament basketball, is Princeton uh, making their way to the Sweet 16. They knocked off um, number two Arizona and then uh, number seven or seven seed, I should say, Missouri. Um, to make it to the Sweet 16, where they will play Creighton um, on, uh, or they will play Creighton for a uh, chance to the Elite Eight. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch either of those games, so I didn't have much analysis on them, but good job for Princeton, a 15 seed to the Sweet 16 again for the second straight year. St. Peter's did it last year. Isn't it the, it's the third straight year because Oral Roberts right. did it uh, the year You're before right. that. So maybe. Shout out to the uh, the first upset of the tournament on like the second game of the entire thing. Furman, yeah, 
beat Virginia on one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen. It Mike picked. Mike, Mike picked, so and I, uh, we I, overruled yeah, them. I, I did. I did pick that. But, yeah, that was just so, dumb. Don't yeah. Just call timeout. Just call timeout. Yeah, if you yes. want to see just an awful play, he was trapped in the corner, under 10 seconds left. Worst-case scenario, they just foul you, right? Instead, he just launches the ball blindly to half court to the other team, and they just shoot an uncontested three, and they lose. Yep. Talk about not helping your draft stock. Kihei Clark, yep. <laughs> not yeah, very even smart. Just, just wait, and you'll get called for five seconds, yep. and then there's six seconds left just on the clock, and they got to inbound the ball. At least you can set yeah. your defense. Yep. So Basically, what I'm saying is everybody else was worse than Iowa State. Iowa State did a great job. <laughs> Yeah, th- yep, thank you, Bailey Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, other teams. talking about Iowa State's disaster because everyone's talking about Purdue's yes. disaster instead. In a normal year, we would get made fun of a lot for not scoring any yeah. points. Yep. Any other thoughts on the tournament before we move on? I was just going to say, I don't know if anyone else shares this sentiment, but I'm wondering if the transfer portal and NIL is actually starting to make this tournament maybe a little bit more exciting. The dispersion of players, I think, and talent, I think, is a little bit better than it has been in years past. So it's not just the top teams cruising, dominating, moving on. Um, you are getting more teams like Michigan State on the seven seed moving to the Sweet Sixteen now. Um, Furman, you know, I don't, I don't know how their rosters all line up, but Furman obviously playing better. Princeton being able to compete at a high level, especially these 15 seeds that have now made back-to-back-to-back sweet 16s. Does anyone else have any thoughts on that or insight? Uh, I don't know that I can confidently say that. I have no idea, to be honest. I think we need to wait a little bit. uh, I want to wait another year or two to see trends, but you could be right. Something to watch. You could be right. We'll have to see on that. That's a good point. Make a note to revisit that next year. Or the year after. But sure, next year it is. Any other thoughts on the tournament? And I, Well, okay. So now that we're at our Sweet 16, a lot of people make a revamp Sweet 16 Ooh, bracket. You, I know Ooh, a lot of us Ooh, are... If you no, 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 no. Hold on, it. hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I know we're owning it. I'm just saying, oh, Mike, open up the bracket. Who is our final four? Do we still feel confident with that? Pick a final four, pick a national champion. Of the team that's of the teams that are left right now. I picked Texas. I'm picking Texas. Dude, my my final four is still alive. So Ariana and I are in a different boat. Uh, yeah. So Arizona, it, ours were. I had Arizona and Purdue in one side of the Ugh. bracket, and then UConn and Houston. Uh, let me look at the official bracket here. I want to update my Purdue, who I think my updated Final Four is. I'm sticking with UConn. I'm sticking with UConn. But I'm going to go K-State versus Alabama probably is my updated one. I had Houston and Gonzaga on one side. I'm going to stick with that. Um, My other side was Arizona and Purdue. So obviously that doesn't look great. Um, Let's see. I would go K-State, Alabama. Okay. Ariana and I are sticking together on that one. I mean, yeah. if you make me pick one more Final Four team, I'd put Tennessee in to replace Marquette, who lost from my Final Four. Otherwise, I'm sticking with what I got. I like it. 
Yeah, mine is Alabama, Tennessee, Houston, Gonzaga. So I'm I'm definitely sticking with that. Nice. All right. Well, we will, of course, let you know what happens um, in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight on next week's episode. But now something that's flown under the radar, and that's where two races into the F1 season, if I'm understanding this correctly. And there was controversy in at least one of the races. So, White and Kyle, tell us all about it. I will say it it's flown under the radar if you're someone like Mike or Arian who don't pay attention to Formula One. But it has not gone under the radar for people who are big Formula One fans. Uh, Netflix kicked off season five of Drive to Survive before the season started, leading into the first race of the season. So all of the Formula One fans out there are fully engrossed in the in the F1 season this year. And I mean, initial thoughts, we'll, we'll talk about the races here, Wyatt, but initial thoughts on the season is it could be a very long season with a lot of the same team uh, at the top. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Red Bull, <laughs> they, they're looking far and above better than any other team on the grid right now. However, Ashton Martin is also up there, and I am living for that. I am as well. So the the big news at the end of the season last year was Fernando Alonso leaving Alpine, headed over to Aston Martin in what essentially was called at that time uh, Lawrence Stroll, the 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 CEO or the owner is the owner of Aston Martin. Owner of Aston Martin basically said that he gave uh, Fernando Alonso a blank check to help design the car. Uh, and it seems to be paying off early on for, for Alonzo and the Aston Martin team. Uh, so they were surprisingly doing well, I guess, to a lot of people's shock. Uh, everyone thought that they could be a, a really good team, possibly, potentially, you know, t- fourth in the constructors, maybe third, uh, battling with Ferrari, but possibly ahead of Mercedes. But as it's shaking out right now, they're the second best team uh, on grid outside of of Red Bull and kind of leading the pace in in that aspect as Red Bull, you know, is head and shoulders above the rest. But but Aston Martin is, you know, the best of the rest. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that right now. Anyway, well, like we said, though, we only had two races under the belt so far. So we'll see how. Well, that goes. And while Fernando Alonso is doing really well, Lance Stroll is very much in the middle of the pack right now. Overall, he's obviously not as good of a driver as one of the greats, but uh, he seems to be struggling a little bit. Finished uh, P6 in Bahrain and then... With two broken wrists, though. That's true. That's true. And then he had um, issues and retired out of out of Saudi Arabia. But Yeah. So, I mean, overall, Bahrain Grand Prix, not anything too exciting or interesting maybe outside of the fact that mclaren is absolute garbage uh this so far in this season danny rick seemed to get out just in time uh but finishing order was verstappen perez and then alonzo um interesting enough at the end of that race alfa romeo did end up going for fastest lap and getting fastest lap although they don't get the point since they didn't finish in the points uh for that so the fastest lap did not go to a red bull driver there as well overall nothing too interesting to talk about other than why it's one well, thing one th- well two things and i think about it first of all charles leclerc got completely screwed out 
um, as per usual. It's kind of Ferrari's thing. Don't care too much about that. That's probably a common theme throughout the rest of the year. Um, but some one interesting thing that I just remembered was Esteban Akan got like three, oh, three yeah. pen, like so he got um a we'll, we'll go back to this here in a second starting grid yeah, penalty. He got a five second starting grid penalty he was lined up outside of his little your starting box when the lights went out and then well we'll go in, into how penalties are served in a second but essentially he did not serve the penalty correctly so then he got an additional 10 second penalty for not serving his five second penalty right and then he sped in the pit lane and got another is that another five second i think uh, for for speeding in the pit lane, so it's kind of wild seeing that many mistakes in one race. But other than that, yeah, nothing too interesting. Well, he ended up just retiring yeah. because of how many penalties he had to serve and how far out of the race he was. Yeah, it wasn't point. worth it. So, yeah, yeah, we'll get into this. But it seems like the FIA early season might be cracking down a little bit closer on a few things. Uh, but overall, moving into the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, uh, the track, the street circuit Jetta. Uh Checo Perez did really well. Verstappen had some gearbox and drive shaft issues in qualifying. He was unable to escape Q2, uh, which meant he would start in P15 to start the race. Uh Checo Perez obviously is still head and shoulders, Red Bull above the rest. Uh put in a really good second lap or uh, final lap in Q3 to get pole. Charles Leclerc got second. Uh he joined Perez on the front row, but uh, Ferrari has already replaced the energy store uh, twice in their car this, in this season. They are only allowed two of such occurrences all season. Yes, two changes after the first race. Uh, they had a 10-place grid penalty, dropping him to start in P12, uh, which allowed Alonso to start along the front row with Perez. Overall, this race was pretty uneventful. Verstappen did move from P15 all the way up to P12 two uh at the end of the race um but the finishing order perez verstappen alonzo uh with alonzo though there was some controversy at the end of the race wyatt do you want to uh you know go over what happened with the fia there was controversy pervasive from lights out to after the race it was just this it was pretty wild so it all started with frando alonzo starting uh, on pole he lined up like to the left of his grid box like his tires were over the line of the grid box which is a five-second penalty. Okay, that's all cool. Uh, time penalties, let's go over how time penalties work in Formula 1 real quick. We'll do a refresher. You can be issued a five-second time penalty, a 10-second time penalty, a drive-through penalty, a stop-and-go penalty, and then um, technically those last two could also be issued as 20-second or 30-second penalties. We'll go to that in a second. So if you get a five-second or a 10-second penalty, you will serve that at your next pit stop. You'll pull into your pit box. You'll sit there for either five seconds or 10 seconds. And the crew is not allowed to work on the car at all. After that five or 10 seconds has elapsed, they're allowed to work on the car, get you new tires or whatever, and then uh, ship you back out. A drive-through penalty is exactly what it sounds like. You have to pull into the pit lane and then just drive down the pit lane and then rejoin the race. That penalty has to be served within, within two laps, I think. Um, so you have only two laps into the pit lane. If, for whatever reason, you were issued that um, drive-through penalty within the last two laps of the race, you'll just be docked 20 seconds from your final time. And then there's a stop-and-go penalty. Also, 20 seconds does come from a pretty close standard. Most of the times, it's 
well known and well documented that while the race is a go under a green flag, uh, time in pit lane is anywhere between like eighteen to twenty five seconds typically. Yeah, it's a pretty good average. So of what that's you where you're. That's where your 20 seconds comes from, roughly. Yep, and this actually goes into the last one, which is a stop-and-go penalty, where you pull into your pit lane, uh, into your pit box, stop for 10 seconds, and then you're allowed to rejoin the race. But you can't have any work done on the car at all. And if you are given that within the last two or three laps of the race, it doesn't really matter, I guess, uh, you'll get docked 30 seconds. And if you go back to what Kyle was just saying, you get 20 seconds for a drive-through penalty, um, well, if you stop for an extra 10 seconds, that would be a total of 30 seconds added to your final race time. If you don't serve that five or 10 second penalty um, in your pit box, that'll just be docked from your time at the end of the race. So with all of that out of the way, Fernando Alonso served that time penalty like in the middle of the race when he's getting new tires. So he pulled into the pit box, stopped for five seconds, got new tires and then went on his way. Apparently, the rear of the car, that there was a jack touching the rear of the car before that five seconds had elapsed, but nobody said anything until the last lap of the race, um, where race control notified the, the race stewards that, hey, we don't think this penalty was served correctly. They looked at it and said, yeah, it was not, and they issued a, another 10-second penalty to Fernando Alonso for not serving that penalty correctly. So the race ended, and it I think it technically ended um Perez Verstappen Alonso but then like like during the post race is when they actually issued the penalty and declared George Russell to be in third place now because of Alonso's 10 second penalty immediately Ashton Martin appealed to the FIA citing literally seven different instances where a team was allowed the jack to touch the car and never never been penalized before um and meeting minutes from the SAC the sporting advisory committee um, where the FIA originally thought that everybody was on the same page, that touching the jack constitutes working on the car. It turns out that's not the case. Nobody's on the same page there, and there's some ambiguity. Uh, so they ended up reversing their decision and allowed Fernando Alonso to get his 100th F1 podium finish. But it was just a lot of drama from the start of the race all the way to the very end about penalties so if very if you like the nfl and controversy there you'll love formula One. i mean ultimately ultimately here what this is is a horrible look for the fia you have 35 laps to inform a team of this type of, of issue and occurrence you therefore did not inform them after 35 laps you let the entire ceremony commence with Alonzo getting doused with champagne, receiving the third place trophy, all of that. Then you take it away and then you put it back. I, I don't know. It, the FIA needs to figure it out and figure it out quick because what, what that was a bad, bad look in my opinion. Um, and they need to, if they're going to crack down, you crack down and you do it during the race so that you give the team ample time to serve that penalty if they have to but it's ridiculous they need to figure it out something i don't like is kind of how hidden race stewards are which are the, the people those are like the officials basically for the race i mean you're all for you're all for the xfl where officials are being miked in the booth talking about replay so i i'm 
bet you're going to lean towards that here, well, I, giving a little bit I, more insight into their decisions. I will give some credence because every decision they make, they do submit a report on the decision and why it was made. So that there is a lot of transparency there. What I don't like is that a majority of the race stewards are different for every single race. And I think that's where we get a lot of the inconsistency for rules applications. I don't know if you solve that by having like crews of officials similar to other sporting events or you just have permanent officials, I guess, for the FIA. But I, I'm just not a big fan of having as many different stewards that we have for every single Grand Prix. I mean, the sport is growing, uh, growing in viewership, growing in popularity. Uh, with that growth, they need to implement some changes as well. And, and hopefully they do so. But this was really a bad look for them this week. So overall, uh, Red Bull, uh, to summarize, this is ahead in the constructors. Uh, Max Verstappen is one point up on Sergio Perez for constructors or for drivers. Sorry. Uh, And Fernando Alonso is doing really well. Can anyone challenge Red Bull? We'll see. Uh, Seems like some reliability issues could be hitting Red Bull, uh, especially after two races, them having to change the gearbox and the drive shaft um, twice or possibly three times on Verstappen's car. So lots of excitement. Uh, it is a long season. Two weeks from now, they'll be down under in Australia. Very nice. Thank you for filling us all in on the start of the F1 season. As we do, we'll start moving into our segments with Mike Stupid Rules. And today we're going to talk about something that I saw in the Michigan State Marquette game on Sunday. Was anybody else watching that game? I watched bits and pieces of it, but I don't actually think I saw what you are going to be talking about. So this should be exciting. Okay. Well, so basically um, what happened was it was a little bit of a, of a loose ball situation. I can't remember if it was a rebound or like a ball got knocked out. Anyway, the ball was getting tipped around, and essentially what happened is the ball went up through the bottom of the hoop, hit the rim, and came back in, dropped back down through the hoop. Um, I'd never actually seen this happen in a game before, um, so I did not know what the ruling was on this, so I figured I would look it up in Mike's Stupid Rules. Um, so the first rule we're going to talk about is Rule 9, Section 6, Article 1. This is in the um, NCAA rulebook. Um, and that section is literally titled, Kick, Fist, Through Basket from Below. Um, Article 1 states, it is a violation when a player intentionally kicks the ball, strikes it with a fist, or causes it to pass through the basket and enter the cylinder from below. So it is a violation similar to kicking the ball, um, when this happens, um, then so we got to go look up the definition of violation, which is in Rule Four, um, Section Twenty Six, Article Two. Um, yeah, so Section Twenty Six, Article Two. Um, where is it? So and it says the penalty for a violation is awarding the ball to the opponent for a throw-in. There you go. So. In this case, the violation occurs, so it's awarded to the other team. So in that case, Michigan State was the one who knocked it up through their own basket and back down. That is a violation on um, Michigan State. Uh, Marquette was awarded the basketball. There you go. Questions on that? It's pretty straightforward. i just never seen it in a game. 
No, interesting. I've never seen that either. And, and if, so if if Marquette would have knocked it up through Michigan State's basket, it would be like the same as a kick. So out of bounds, under the basket for Michigan State, shot clock resets to 20 seconds like it does on, on a violation on the defense. So pretty straightforward, and it's actually directly stated in the rules. I didn't actually have to look very hard for it. There you go. Any questions on that? Are those pretty straightforward? None for me. Awesome. We'll move right into accountability session then, and it was a bad one. Um, not a terrible one. Mostly it's Wyatt's fault that it was a bad one. Um, yep. So taking stuff off the board, we'll start with me. I predicted the Cyclone women, women, this was at the end of last season, I predicted the Cyclone women make the next two Sweet 16s. Obviously, they did not um, with losing um, in the first round of this year's tournament. So I get a nah. 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 But I did redeem myself by picking that KU would be out of this tournament before the Sweet 16. Now, I didn't think they'd be a one seed when I made that prediction. Um, but either way, it still came true when they were upset by Arkansas in the second round this year. So I get a ding-ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. Josh predicted that Iowa State would go further than Marquette in the tournament. Neither of them went very far, neither in the Sweet 16. But Iowa State was out in the first round, and Marquette made it to the second round. So Josh could say, nah. Nah. Then we got four predictions from Wyatt predicting that the men would go to the Sweet 16, the men would go to the Elite 8, the women would go to the Sweet 16, and the women would go to an Elite 8. They're all long, both first round exits, so Wyatt gets four nant. Nant, 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 nant. Nant, 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 nant. Nant, 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 nant. Ariane, in the only other correct prediction of the week, you predicted that neither the men's or the women's team would make it to the second weekend of the tournament which was correct with their first round exit. So ding, 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 ding. And then Wyatt, you predicted that the Drake Bulldogs would make it to the Sweet 16. They were up eight late um, against Miami, but could not hold on to that lead and also had a first round exit. So you get a nah. 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 That is it for our accountability session. So I will move on to our write that down predictions. Um, I'm now officially in baseball mode with the uh, NCAA tournament over. So I'm looking ahead to the Twins schedule. I'm going to say the Twins play above 500 in March slash April this season. They have seven games against Kansas City, since I just know you're going to ask. Seven games against Kansas City, three games against Miami, three games against Houston, three games against Chicago, seven games against the Yankees, three games against the Red Sox, and three games against the Nationals. What is, what is, does, does Fangraph have a prediction on the Twins record? Overall the the record, they predict the Twins at 82 and 79, 82 and, 82 and 80, sorry. So they're going to be a 500 team? So is this a single? But you've got to look at the strength of schedule in this month. Seven games against the Yankees, three against the Red Sox, three against the White Sox, and three against the Astros. I feel like that could push up to a double. It feels so early in the season, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I, I have the no idea. The Twins will likely be without what? Jorge Polanco for part of that as well, as he's uh, got a knee injury and still hasn't appeared in spring training. And. Buxton's always fragile, so... Um, Correct, yeah. but currently says he'll be ready for opening day, but he also hasn't played in a spring training game. Do you double? Want to double? I feel, 
feels like you want a double. For a double. If you don't give yeah. it to me, so be it. But that's what I'm lobbying for. Th- that's what I was feeling that's anyway. Fine. That's fine. I feel like we might have just given him an extra base, but whatever. I don't know. I don't think it's that that bad. It's not egregious. It's not like that one time in which oh, you wow. allowed a Hirsch to go okay. off on the board. <laughs> I was really SEC trying to move past it. <laughs> We'll never live that one down. Hey, uh, what about Josh? Yeah, so do you think Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yes, he is still alive. He, like uh, most of us, has been watching much Madness pretty intently. And he is predicting that Houston is going to win the tournament. They have not looked good at all. That's true. I but think. they're still in it. They're dealing with some injuries. Yeah, Marcus Sasa missed the second half against Northern Kentucky. He did play most of the game against Auburn. Yeah. But is he really 100% or is he still struggling yep, with that groin that's injury? That's a fair point. I think he's struggling. Um, but I think he looks better. He, he'll seem better in the second game than he did the first game where he didn't score any points. So I think he'll only get better. Yeah, with, and he's got a few um, days to get healthy. Or, and he's got a few days to rest. Yeah. F- 538 gives Houston a 27% chance to win the tournament for what it's worth. I'm not sure Ken Palm has won new simulations since. Yeah, no. They haven't won new simulations. And 27 seems. I would say it's high rather than that it's low, personally. Yeah, it's the highest of any team remaining in the tournament. Well, of any team in the tournament at this point. So, yeah, they give, really? they give Alabama a 20% chance, um, Texas 12, hmm. Creighton, Tennessee, and Gonzaga 6, and everybody else is 5 or less. Hmm. I mean, he's picking the odds-on favorite here, but it's right? still it's a one yeah, in sixteen, right? It's, it's not, not like a toss-up. I'm probably thinking double. I was gonna say double as well. Yeah, that's fine. I, I mean, I was like, this ain't a triple. No, so for double sure, it is not a single. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna predict that Red Bull will have at least one race where they do not get a podium finish. Well, so they're going to have to DNF or both start at the back of the grid and not be able to make it. To well, the I mean, uh, Verstappen basically started at the back of the grid this week. Still made it to second. Right. And, and that's neither guy getting a podium. Neither. Right? Neither of them. Oh, man. I don't think it's going to happen as evident by my prediction from last week that Red Bull is going to win 90% of the races this year. For what um, it's worth, I don't think that it'll happen either. <laughs> that would be historic, I think. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know the Lewis Hamilton days. Lewis Hamilton days were pretty, pretty rich. Okay. Um, look. Frick. I think this is highly unlikely. I'm just going to trust your triple. So, yeah, same. Do you want anything more than a triple here? Um, I'd have to look to see the last time that neither of them finished. Um, because it's been a long time. But I, I'd be happy to triple. It's That's too much. Been work. a bit. That's too much work for me. Sounds like a triple then. It's definitely not a double with how good they look so far this season. No, but. Uh, yeah, so staying on the Formula One 
train here. Uh, I am, I am team Ferrari. And in this, in this uh, prediction, normally things go contrary to my prediction. So this is what I'm hopeful for. I am going to predict that Ferrari will not win a race this season. And I don't care because I hope, me saying this prediction actually helps them to win a race this season. I think they, they will. Um, like they, they have a good car. Their strategy is always been a little lackluster. Questionable. Broken clocks right twice a day. Their reliability is about as good as a Ford F-150. To be fair, we're only two races in and th- this is how Ferrari usually goes. They screw a bunch of stuff up, fix it mid season, and then either fizzle out due to strategy or uh, actually end up doing well a la 15 16 but i i think they will get a win i think it, i mean if they don't leclerc has got to run like if if he can't get a win this year you, you got peace out um you saying they will not win a race i think is unlikely i would say that's probably a triple. I'm fine with that. That might be a little generous, but I'm biased because I think that they will do it. Yeah, I just usually agree with whatever Wyatt says. So single in life or just about yeah, no. just, just about, about just about a, yeah, yeah. I try and maybe not all life choices. Yeah, don't do that. So yeah, triple it is then. So single with triple. Triple. Wait, what are we doing? It's a triple. Okay. Triple. I think they will win a race. Gotcha. Okay. We got our end. I'm gonna bring it back to baseball and say that three out of four of our respective MLB teams will win their opening day game. I was initially gonna say all four, but uh the twins play the Royals, so that makes it hard <laughs> for that to happen. So you're saying that So basically what this boils down to is that the Cubs and the Cardinals will win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Trying to have who, who like a they, nice feel play? good. The Cubs will uh, play. Oh, let me see here. Uh, the Brewers. I believe the Cardinals play the Blue Jays, and yeah, the Cubs play the Brewers. The Brewers at Cubs. This is probably double, maybe single or double. Yes, I'm. I'm feeling generous. I would definitely lobby for double. I, I would give it a double. That's two games. Three games. It's two games. Three, it's two games. It's, it's two, two games. games. <laughs> The third game is going to happen no matter what. (laughs) What happens if that game gets postponed? He he said the opening game, so, right? Isn't that the way he phrased the prediction? They have to play at some point. Yeah, we'll win the opening opening day game. game not played on opening day. It's still opening day. It's opening day game not played. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's still okay. I'm just making sure. I still think it's a double. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Are, do the Royals and the Twins play in Minnesota? No, in is this City. game going to get it's snowed out? City. Still it's could get snowed out. Say. It better not. <laughs> do, do I need to look at the extended forecast for Kansas City before we officially give this a double? I, uh, you don't, don't, I don't think it's changing it. It's not accurate. No, classify, classify it as a double. All right, sounds good. If you look at the extended Kansas City forecast, it'll be about as accurate as our write that down prediction segment. It might actually be better. Or we might be better. I don't know. Who knows? What I do know is that with three doubles and two triples, that includes our write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 cast episode 215. 
From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311cast on both Instagram and Twitter. We went full circle. We told you to do the Twitter thing at the beginning and at the end. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts. I.L. Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!